Well, how do you choose your friends? Good morning, Burning Bush. Burning Bush Online this morning. I'm Pastor Dennis McNulty. We are glad you're with us this morning. How be it from your homes online. And by the way, I know that we have folks watching everywhere. I got a note from uh, Pat and Lester Little who reside in Florida. And they told me that they have been enjoying our online services. So this morning we're going to continue this series that we've started. Talking to your kids about the important stuff. And this morning we're going to kind of zero in on friendships. I think everybody realizes that the friends that your children and your teenagers choose have a lot to do with how things go in their life. You know, I think a lot of people just in general, whether it be friends or adults, don't realize the importance of their friends. Friends impact your relationships, they impact your feelings, your future, your spiritual journey with God. This is so important because, listen, if you get your friends right, everything else that matters, you will get right. The flip side is, if you don't get your friends right, you're going to have a lot of struggles and a lot of heartaches in life. In fact, I want to share a scripture with you this morning. It says, well actually I want to share something else with you first. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you know that statement is so true, isn't it? You know if you're young this morning and watching, you're thinking, I don't know if I agree with you. But if you're an adult... You know I am on spot with this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The scripture I was going to refer to, it's over in the book of Proverbs. It says, walk with the wise. And then what does it say next? I want everybody to say this at home with me. What does it say next? And you will become wise. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. You know, the Bible has hundreds of verses that talk about friendships, the importance of friendships. You need friends for your relationships, obviously. You need them for your happiness. And do you know that studies show us we need them for our health? Do you know that study after study has shown that if you have good friends, that you'll live a longer life? In other words, if you don't choose your friends well and you don't have friends, good friends, your life expectancy is shorter. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God has made us for relationships. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this whole subject of friendships from a biblical perspective. We're going to see what kinds of friends that we shouldn't have what kind of friends that we, what goes into us being a good friend, and there's a few characteristics of what to look for in a friend. Now, you know there are basically, although you could look at it different ways, I want to basically look at two different types of friends this morning. The first that I want to look at is casual friends. Casual friends in your life may be the result of my circumstances, people you run into doing life. So those are casual friends. They might be somebody that you work with, 
somebody you go to school with. They might be a neighbor. They might be somebody on your sports team. But they're, they're just people you run into as you do life. They're not close friends. They're just acquaintances. So casual friends are those that you run into as a result of circumstances. Listen, your closest friends do not need to be friends as a result of just the fact that you run into them. Just circumstances. Your close friends need to be ones that you choose. They are people that you choose to do life with. Close friends should be people who you choose to do life with. Close friends are not accidental. They're not just circumstances, people you run into. They should be people that you choose to do life with. And here's a simple truth that we all understand. The closer people are to me, the more influence they have in my life the more impact they have on my life. That means I need to be really careful about the people that are close to, close to me. They're not just acquaintances. They have a lot of impact and influence on me. That means, if that's true, that I better be sure who I'm choosing to have influence on me. And I need to be sure that they're influencing me for good. That they have the same value system that I have. That they are helping point me to God. Choose your close friends carefully. Over in the book of Proverbs, it's put this way. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous choose their friends carefully. That means that they think about it. They're not arbitrarily picking the people that are going to be close to them. It's saying a smart person is cautious about picking his friends. He's careful about not picking people that are going to lead him in the wrong direction. So this morning I want us to kind of look at the kind of people you shouldn't be choosing to be your friends. And then look at the kind of qualities for people that you do want to be your friends. I want to begin this morning with something I found in a book by a middle school youth pastor out in California by the name of Kurt Johnson. He has these four circles, and I want you to kind of notice this, these circles. So he says, your circle of friends, on the outside circle, he says, those are your casual friends. You have a lot of room for casual friends. You might have lots of acquaintances. You don't spend a ton of time together. They're just kind of people that you know. And because you don't spend lots and lots of time together, they have a limited influence on you. The next circle is your close friends. There's not as many of these. You do tend to spend more time with these, and that means that they have you know, increased influence on you. And then his other circle is this one here. Core friends, and you're in the center of that core. Core friends, and he says, most people only have, maybe at the max, five of these. He said, a lot of people only have one, two, maybe three core friends. He says, you're only going to have room for a few of them because you're, that's all the people that you can have that you can really spend a lot of time with. 
You're going to have a lot of influence on each other because you're so close and you do spend so much time together. Do you realize that's the model that Jesus used? Jesus loved everybody. He did. He loved everybody. He ministered to the 5,000. He prepared the 120. He discipled 12. He mentored three. Peter, James, and John. He loved everybody. But there was really only three in his inner circle. They were the only ones there at the transfiguration. They were the only ones there at the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John. They were the only one there when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. They were the core. Did Jesus play favorites? Yes, he did. Those three guys, he knew that those guys were going to have maximum responsibility when he left and they would take over the, the responsibilities of starting the church. These three guys would become the pillars, the foundation of the church. And so, yes, he played favorites. He spent more time with that inner core of three guys. You know, if you kind of think this circle concept through a little bit, some of you will probably realize that you have some other kinds of people that fit in some of those circles. You have VDPs and VIPs. Of course, we all know VIPs are very important people. You might think, well, what is a VDP, Pastor? A VDP is a very draining person. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that just kind of drain the life out of you. And the more VDPs you have, especially if you have more VDPs than VIPs, you know what you're going to have in your life? You're going to have a lot of stress. And you're going to have a lot of frustration. And you're just going to be drained all the time. And you're not going to have any energy. And if you have too many v VDPs, you are eventually just going to run out of gas. Would you agree with me that that, that it's easier for somebody to pull you down than for you to pull somebody up? Say, for instance, this morning, I'm, I'm standing here on a platform and there's steps here. What would be easier, for me to pull somebody up or for somebody to pull me off of this platform? We all know the answer. Be a lot easier for you to pull me down off of this platform because gravity would go become a factor. That's the way it is with friendships. It's much easier for people to pull you down than for you to pull people up. So that's why we need to be so careful. That's also why I'm opposed to, to missionary dating. What's that? I'm glad you asked. Well, I'm just going to win that young lady. I'm just going to win that young man to the Lord, that boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, that's what they're thinking, right? Yeah, I don't think so. That's why I'm opposed to that. It, most of the time, it doesn't work. And so by now, you probably figured out why this is a message for parents and it's a message for students and children. This is a message for grown-up kids too about how you choose your friends and the importance of friendships. So first of all, let's talk about some of the characteristics in Scripture, some of the things it says to avoid as far as people that you choose to be your friend. You know, there, there, 
there are hundreds of verses, as I mentioned earlier, that talk about friends. And there's lots of these characteristics. So I've just kind of narrowed them down to a select few this morning because obviously we have time constraints. The first one is this. People who like to argue should not be in your inner circle of friends. That's what scripture says. You may have noticed in life that there are just some people that they just live for conflict. I mean, they're not energized unless they are arguing with somebody. They've always got a cause. They're always right. They think everybody else is wrong. They're they're always kind of agitating. They can be very irritating to you. They complain all the time. They're always arguing about something. God says, don't hang out with those people. Over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 3, it reads this way. Avoiding an argument is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on what? Quarreling or arguing. Look at that word there, avoiding. You know what that means? It means to stay away. So in other words, when somebody comes into your office area and they want to argue, get up and walk away. It means when somebody wants to, to, to argue with you about something, maybe in the parking lot or, or, or in a restaurant or whatever, maybe it's a family thing, walk away. It means when somebody on Facebook wants to argue with you about something, click off, go to something else. That's what the scriptures say. It says avoid arguments. Stay away from them. Just walk away. That's not Dennis's advice. That's not some Christian therapist's advice. That's what God says to do. Here's the second one. People who gossip. Now some of you are thinking, people who gossip, man, I probably just lost half of my friends if I go by that. Because it's just something that, that's so prevalent. Did you know God hates gossip? He hates gossipers. He hates gossiping. God says it's detrimental, it's destructive, it sabotages relationships. It also says God judges gossipers. So what is gossip? Let me share a definition with you for gossip. Gossip is sharing information when you're neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. That's a pretty good definition. Gossip is sharing information when you're neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. And do you know what I think the worst part is for Christians? A lot of the gossip comes through prayer request. Have you ever noticed that, how people gossip through prayer request? Well, we need to pray for such and such a family. I heard that he was having an affair on her, and then you go into a five-minute thing. That's not a prayer request. That is just outright gossip. Don't use prayer requests as an excuse to gossip. Here's what scripture says in another place about gossip over in the book of Proverbs. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. That's pretty simple. Stay away from people who gossip. People who like to argue, stay away from those people. Here's a third one. You should choose friends. Your close friends should not be people who can't control their temper. 
You should control people who, you should have friends, you should not have friends who can't control their temper. People who are rageaholics, who are always upset, who blow their top easily, Scripture says those are not the people that you need to have as close friends. You know, basically, I think you can, people who lose their temper can kind of be divided into two categories. You have those people who kind of become martyrs, and then you have those people who become erupting volcanoes. But both of them don't control their temper. Another way of saying is that they, they, they're either skunks or turtles. You know what turtles do when they get angry? They pull back into their shell. Poor me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat some worms. And they kind of have that attitude. And it's, you know, a little pity party. Me, myself, and I. And that's one way. And then you've got the erupting volcano kind of people or the skunk kind of people. When they're upset, they let everybody know and, and they just stink up the whole place. The Bible says those kinds of people don't need to be your close friends. People with a short fuse, people who are hot-headed, people who are volatile, people who don't think before they speak, people who are just impetuous in their language, rash, blow up easily. Those people, God says to avoid. Here's another proverb for you. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Could it be any more plain? Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Isn't that interesting, the, the second part of that? Do not associate with them or you may learn their ways. You know, you know emotions are very contagious. Loneliness is contagious. Depression is contagious. Anger is contagious. And if you start hanging out with an angry person, you will find yourself becoming an angry person. That's what the scripture's saying, and you've probably seen that in real life, how people that are angry tend to, to get other people around them and get them angry. Scripture says avoid that. Now you might say, well, you know, pastor, I don't know any angry people. Do you watch any of the TV shows on television, any of the, the, the commentary type shows and that kind of thing? Do they make your blood pressure rise? Do you find yourself shouting at the TV? Scripture says you should avoid those kind of people if that's what's happening to you. People that create anger in you, avoid them. Number four, people who steal or shoplift. People who steal or shoplift. Now, I don't know a lot of adults that know anybody that shoplifts. But I know that a lot of teenagers know people that shoplift. Now, adults, they tend to, they don't call it stealing, maybe you call it borrowing. But how many people take stuff from work? That's the problem with adults. Taking things from work that they, they shouldn't be taking, taking things that belong to the boss or whatever, their, their, their place of employment. You know people that steal, if they're your friends, they will eventually steal from you. Book of Proverbs again, chapter 1. We get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cats lo cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their 
paths. So it says, come on, let's get stuff, and we'll just store it up. You know all the resources at the office where we work? We'll just kind of take that stuff. Nobody will miss it. They have plenty of it. Or teenagers that shoplift. Scripture says don't go along with them. Those don't need to be your friends. Do not associate with people that do those kinds of things. And Scripture gives us some more. And this This is my fifth one about people that should not be our closest friends. It's believers who sin sexually. And there's a few other sins that are mentioned in the verse we're going to look at here in just a moment. But I want you to notice, first of all, it says, I should not have as my closest friend believers who sin sexually. Notice I didn't say unbelievers. Why not everybody? Well, let me give you a principle. Paul shares it with us in the book of 1 Corinthians. He basically tells us, never expect unbelievers to act like believers. So here's what he says. He says, when I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin because you'd have to leave this whole world to avoid all of them. So that's impossible, right? Then he goes on and explains himself. What I meant was, you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian and yet indulges in sexual sin. And then he starts naming some other things. Or is greedy, or abusive, or gets drunk. Don't even eat with such people. Why? Because they are a bad witness. Because they are a bad, notice the word. I love this, that word he uses. Representation of Christ. He says, You are not to hang around with believers who say they are Christians and didn't do these four things. Have sexual sin, they're greedy, they're abusive, or they get drunk. Or you could just say Christians who act in a non-Christian way. He says what? That's a problem. So those are some people that he says stay away with. So the next thing I want to do is, well, what should you look for in a friend? I want to mention two things, and then I'm going to mention a few characteristics of good friends. But I just want to mention two, and again, there's a lot of other places and things that we could mention this morning. But there's two, I think, very important things that we should look for scripturally in a friend. The first one is this. Choose friends who encourage you spiritually. Over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Listen. Encouraging is not just compliments. You know compliments are great. They're wonderful. But compliments and encouraging are not the same thing. Nothing wrong with compliments. It's great when you compliment people. But they're not the same thing as encouraging. A compliment. Dennis, I like your shirt the morning, this morning. Thanks. That, that's a nice compliment. Dennis, you look really buff. Thanks, but I know you're lying. But, but, but seriously, compliments are great. But encouragement... It goes deeper than compliments. It gets below the surface. Encouragement matters a little bit more and carries more significance than a compliment. 
And so scripture says God wants us to surround ourselves with people that are encouraging to us. Not just people that compliment us, but people that encourage us. So what is encouragement? Here's a really simple definition of encouragement. To fill the heart. And I do that when I give people hope and confidence and support. Isn't that an easy definition to remember encouragement? is just to fill the heart. When I give people hope, when I support people, when I give people confidence, I am encouraging them. I am filling their heart. You know, as I've mentioned earlier, sometimes we get those people in our life that, that, that are friends, but they're, they're not really encouraging have you ever had one of those friends maybe that, that they were always hurt because you just didn't, you know, you didn't seem, you, you weren't including them on everything and every time you just, whatever the reasons were, didn't invite them to something, you know, they were upset with you, those, those kind of draining friends, you know. Hey Dennis, I heard you guys went biking yesterday. Thanks for inviting me, click. You know, those kind of people. Hey, heard all you guys call you up. Hey, I heard all you guys went to the movies yesterday. Well, nobody invited me. Thanks, man. Click. You know, and you get where you just feel like you're walking on eggshells with them all the time. You know, because whatever you do, if you don't invite them, they get upset. Hey, Dennis, heard you were folding underwear last night. You didn't invite me. And, and they're just always upset about everything. Those are the kind of people you don't want. They're not encouraging. When you think about encouragement, do you have people that, that friends that encourage you, they give you hope, they, they give you confidence, that support you? Like when you walk away from a, a phone conversation with them or an in-person meeting, your heart is full. You know, I have a friend by the name of Mike Meredith. Mike and I have been friends for almost 40 years. Mike is a missionary to Australia, so we don't see each other very often, and phone calls are kind of pricey, but we do talk occasionally. And, uh, you know, even though we don't see each other very often, you know, when we do talk or, or we do see each other, it's like we just pick up where we left off. Even though it might be a year between calls, or, and it might be sometimes seven or eight years between times we get to see each other, we can just pick things up right where they stopped. And so when I get off the phone with him, my heart is full. Choose friends who encourage you, especially those that encourage you spiritually. Second, choose friends who challenge you to think. That's a little hard, isn't it? Because we tend to kind of want to just choose our friends by the people that kind of think like us. But I think God wants us to choose people also that challenge us to think. Remember that very first passage that we looked at today? Walk with the wise and you will become wise. You see, it's easy to have friends that just think like you do. And most of us have those kinds of friends. But if we have friends that challenge us, iron sharpens iron. Friends that you just don't necessarily always agree with. I'm not talking about judgmental friends or people that are argumentative, argumentative with you. 
but people that challenge you to think, that cause you to be wiser. You remember the movie Dumb and Dumber? That might have been an okay movie, but that's not how to choose your friends. Dumb and dumber do not make healthy friendships. You and I need people in our lives who can sharpen us and make us wiser. You know, I mentioned my friend Mike earlier. Mike and I don't agree on a lot of ministry methodology. We're, we're, in fact, we're kind of opposites. You know, he, he's a, a him-only kind of guy, which is fine. I'm, I'm not making any judgments here. He's a King James-only guy, which is fine too. But we really disagree a lot on methodology. And we've raised our kids different. His three oldest kids are similar to the ages of my three oldest kids. And he and his wife have kind of raised their kids differently than we've raised our kids. Nothing wrong with that. And he and I have had some pretty intense discussions at times on methodology, especially for ministry. This is where I differ with you. I don't agree with that. But at the end of the day, we are still great friends. And we've challenged each other to think. So those are the two things that, the characteristics that I think are really important when you look for friends. Those that challenge you and also, Scripture is just so gung-ho about making sure you have friends in your life that encourage you. But kind of, these kind of go hand in hand a little bit. What are the characteristics of being a good friend? Because these kind of all fit together. How to be a good friend. Number one, be cheerful. Greet people with a smile. I mean, that seems so obvious, but so many people don't do it. There's enormous power in a simple smile just by being cheerful. You ever walked in a room or been in a room and somebody walked in and they were just smiling and it's just contagious and it spread through the whole room? You know, a smile is a universal language. You can smile at somebody and you don't even know their language and they will smile back. And here's the great thing about a smile. It doesn't cost you anything. You can smile at a grocery store clerk and make their day. You can smile at a coworker you pass in the hallway or a fellow student and make their day. You can smile and issue a greeting to a neighbor that's walking towards you. And it doesn't cost you anything. Tuesday at night, Renee and I were out walking in our subdivision. And in our subdivision, there is a four-way stop in the subdivision. And it kind of has hills going two different directions. So you can't see real good. And there's an empty lot on the corner of part of that four-way stop. There's no house there. It's just an empty lot. I guess the, the county owns it. And it doesn't get mowed very often by the county. And so Tuesday night as we're walking, there was this guy that had just finished mowing a a large portion of that lot so that when you pulled up to the stop sign, you could actually see down the hill and down the other direction. And nobody was paying him to do that. Nobody told him to do that. He was just doing it as a favor, as a benefit for all of us. And so as I'm walking by, he's turned off his lawnmower and he's kind of putting things up. And I said... Hey, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that very much. He just grinned back and smiled back at me. He says, well, I'm glad to do it. 
And you could just tell by the look on his face that he, he was so appreciative that somebody smiled at him and somebody noticed what he was doing. And that smile and that comment didn't cost me anything. And yet it kind of made that guy's day. Be cheerful. Do you know studies tell us that the more you smile, the more attractive you are? Isn't that interesting? So maybe you don't need to worry about losing weight. You just need to smile more. Isn't that, that, that's awesome that you just smile. It makes you smile. Study after study says that, that the more you smile, the more attractive you become. Did that work? Probably not. I don't know that it helps everybody. I tried. You know, I guess one of the things that, if I had some pet peeves, one of them would be Christians who don't smile. Just sour faces. We see it in worship when we're having, you know, church here. You know, some Christians just look like they were baptized in vinegar. You know, they're just sour-faced all the time. I mean, to me, it's, it should almost be embarrassing when you're a born-again believer and all the blessings that God's gave you, and you just walk around looking like you've been baptized in vinegar. I mean, how many of you, just, just raise your hand this morning. You are glad that you are a born-again believer. You are excited about how God has transformed your life. We ought to show that. I know everybody's probably got their hands up this morning. You're excited. Why don't we smile about that? Why be, be so sour-faced about it? Did you know that it only takes seven muscles to smile? And it takes 42 muscles to frown? Isn't that fascinating? It takes a lot more energy to frown than it does to smile. Be cheerful. I want you to notice a Bible verse that I think is, is, is really kind of cool. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. I think a lot of times we kind of reverse this. We think it's the other way around. A cheerful heart brings joy to, to your face, so to speak, or something like that. That's not what it says. It says if you have a cheerful look, in other words, you smile first, then that brings joy to the heart. I think a lot of times we get it the other way. Well, if I smile, then I'll, you know, if my heart's happy, it'll show in my smile. But it's the other way here in this Proverbs, that if we smile, it brings joy to our, to our hearts. Have you noticed, and I don't just, I'm not just referring to the COVID-19 here, although this is certainly part of it, that we just seem to live in a world where people just seem to be getting crankier and crankier? Am I right? Have you noticed that? People just seem to be getting more upset all the time and crankier. Nobody wants to be the friend of a cranky person. And I'll even add to that. Nobody really wants a spouse that's cranky, just to be honest with you. If you're cranky all the time, you know, people just don't want to be around you. Perhaps you've heard the story about the cantankerous guy who had was, had gone back to a flower shop and he was just chewing out the clerk because this clerk had messed up his flower delivery. He had ordered two bouquets that were supposed to be housewarming gifts and he had sent them to this, to the, 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 the florist had messed up and, and, and not sent them to the right place and instead had sent to the, for the housewarming gift a card and some flowers that said, rest in peace. Well, he was just chewing out the clerk and the clerk was just like, well... Look at the positive side of it. Somewhere there are some flowers on somebody's grave that say, hope you enjoy your new location. 
So matter how bad you think things might be, they could be worse. Somebody has a worse problem than you do. Make sure you smile. Be cheerful. Number two, be comfortable. Be comfortable in building friendships. Be comfortable. Relax and be yourself. You say, well, Pastor Dennis, people might not like me, like me if I'm just if I if I'm myself, if I'm myself. If they don't like you as you are, then they're not your friend. We spend so much time trying to put on air, so to speak, or or mask and make people think we're something that we're not. That's not what you want for friends. You want to be yourself. And if they don't like you the way you are, they don't need to be your friends. Be yourself, and that will quickly determine who your friends are. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, you have to love yourself to be a good friend. Not in a conceited way or an arrogant way, but you do have to love yourself in the sense that you have to love how God made you. You are a one-of-a-kind person. God made you like that. You have an advantage over everybody else just because of the way God made you. Nobody else can be like you. So that's the second one. Be comfortable in your own skin. Number three, be conversational. What do I mean by that? Learn to ask questions. You know, if you're meeting somebody for the first time especially... Learn to ask questions. Don't just do monologue conversations. In fact, when, when you just talk about yourself the whole time, that's not really a conversation. That is a monologue. You know, I think we spend too much time trying to impress people with how cool we are and how hip we are. That's not what you want to do. Be interested in other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests. In other words, don't just be talking about yourself all the time. But take an interest in who? Others too. That's what we're talking about here. The secret of making friends is to be interested, not interesting. Did you catch that? Be interested in them. We spend so much time trying to make friends. Oh, well, I need to be cool. I need to be sexy. I need to wear the right clothes. I need to give off the right vibes. I need to have the right hairdo. And we try to be interesting, which what we really need to be doing is trying to be interested in them. You will have plenty of friends if you are interested in them and if you're paying attention. You will have all kinds of of friends plenty of friends you know one of the the blessings i think of this whole pandemic is that people are 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 spending more time at home and they're doing more things together and and they're just with each other more and they're encouraging each other and they're spending time at supper and and those types of things if 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 you will show more interest in other people You'll have more friends in two weeks than you've had in two years. Set your ego aside and be interested in people. How do you do that? Ask questions. 
You know, from time to time, I get invited to these rubber chicken banquets. You know what I'm talking about? You go, and like you don't know anybody there, and it's assigned seating, and you know, I'm assigned to, you know, like I don't know anybody there. There might be seven people at that table. Nobody else knows anybody there either. And I just engage in conversation by asking questions. And I'll just start asking questions, just one after the other. And, and I'll just listen and ask more questions. And then people walk away, and they'll be like, wow, that Dennis McNulty's a really nice guy. All I did was ask questions. They don't really even know me. But I was interested. Stop trying to be interesting and be interested. That's what the world wants. People that are interested in them. Here's a fourth one. Be considerate. Be cheerful. Be comfortable. Be conversational. And be considerate. That's what good friends do. They listen well and they empathize. Listen well and empathize. Everybody in the world wants to be listened to. And if you become a good listener and a good conversationalist, like I said earlier, you'll have lots of friends. Why? Because listening is loving. When I listen to you, I take something that that is so precious and it's time. And I'm taking my time. That's something I can never create more of. And I'm listening to you. I'm giving a certain part of my life to listen to you. I'm giving you time and attention that I can never get back. You know, one of the things that I am always mindful of on whenever I teach is, I'm very, first and foremost mindful of what God wants me to say. But secondly, it's always in my mind, there's going to be 450, 500 people here. That's 450, 500 hours. I'm responsible for that. 450 to 500 hours People are spending listening. First and foremost is God's message. But then I'm responsible for how I am using people's time. Because it's their attention. And they can never get it back. And I'm going to go back to a verse. And we've talked about it in this series. I talked about it in our Kind Words Are Cool series. The James chapter 1 verse. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. We've talked about that verse over and over. Listen to people. Do you know the average dad, and this statistic's been this way for several years now, spends seven seconds in conversation with his children? I'm not talking about giving them instructions, do this, take out the trash, mow the grass, that kind of stuff. In conversation with their children. And as I mentioned earlier, that's been one of the, the blessings of the pandemic is that a lot of us are taking walks with our kids and we're sitting down for sit-down meals every evening and, and, and those types of things. And that is so important, dads. Moms, the same way. Make sure you're giving attention. Let me just kind of summarize a lot of what we said this morning. Just with a simple phrase. You might want to write this down. My best friends should bring out the best in me. Your best friends, do they bring out the best in you? Because if your best friends are always fr frustrating you and stressing you out and they're not encouraging you and they're not bringing out the best in you, you probably should have different best friends. That, that's a great key. So here's some homework real quick as we talk about some application here. 
mentioned that graph earlier. That'd be pretty easy for you to fill out on your own. Casual friends, close friends, core friends. That's kind of how the graph went. Pretty easy to recognize. Just as an assignment, go through and kind of fill that out. You can list it rather than using the circle. Who are your casual friends? Who are your close friends? Who are your core friends? And ask yourself some questions. Do my, do my core friends, do they encourage me? Do they support me? Do they bring out the best in me? And if they don't, then maybe you need to switch. Ask yourself about your core friends. Do my best friends bring out the best in me? And then the third one is this. Parents, where do children learn these skills that we've talked about this morning? They need to be taught in the home, and the best place to do that is at the dinner table. That's where children learn conversational skills. They learn to ask questions. They learn to listen. They learn to relate people. They do that at the dinner table. It's so important, parents. Teach your children these skills. Talk about your, with your children the things that we've talked about today at lunchtime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. and Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you love us. We're so thankful for Scripture and Scriptures that teach us about important things like friendships and relationships. And Father, I just want to thank you for the friends that I have in my life. I've lived a lot of places and I've got a lot of close friends that are scattered across this country and it's wonderful to be able to renew acquaintances from time to time and have so many great memories of doing so many things with so many people and I thank you for that. Father, I pray for all of our teenagers and Father, I just pray that they understand how important in our children too it is about who they hang out with. Father, that you tend to be like the people you hang out with and Father, they want to hang out with people of similar values and people that are wise and hang out with people that are, that are looking to you for guidance. Help them to grasp that this morning. Father, I pray for parents. These are difficult conversations when you talk to your children about friends. Father, just give them wisdom. Just fill them with your spirit. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.